in the auditorium, if you're gathered with us online, grace and peace to you. So glad that we're all together today. Um, I want to follow up on something that I talked about last week, just a little bit. Um, had something in mind, and then, um, as is the Lord's uh, prerogative, he changed my mind. <laughs> he gets to do that. Um, so last week I mentioned something about the revival that was happening at Asbury University, and um, I want to I want to track this down a little bit more because uh, I've been thinking about this quite a quite a bit lately. Uh, first and foremost, I have, I have no criticism. I think it's completely legit, and frankly, it's pretty exciting too. Um, if all goes well, I will be doing an interview with a couple of Asbury students this afternoon, and. I'll have that available online, um, try to get kind of a boots on the ground perspective. I'm pretty excited about that conversation. And uh, I would um, also, uh, you know, encourage you that if, you know, you feel like you want to go and check it out, you probably, you probably should just understand that there'll be thousands of other people uh, who are traveling. Um, the auditorium sits, I guess, about 1,800, I think is the, the number that I heard. Um, and the fire marshal has asked uh, that people stay for a period of time and then leave to make room for the about 3,000 people outside who are waiting to get in. Uh, so very interesting dynamic that's happening uh, on that campus. Um, somebody that I know p posted a video, and uh, the best way to describe it is that the college sits on, a, on a, a main street through a tiny little town, and then there's like this half circle that goes off of that street and all of the buildings are on that half circle. It's kind of one of those ridiculously pretty little tiny college campuses. It's kind of cool. But people are lined up outside the auditorium down the half circle and kind of around the block sort of thing. So it's, uh, it's, it, it's drawn a lot of attention. <clears throat> a couple things I want to say uh, at the outset. First of all, I want to give a lot of uh, kudos to the um, Asbury University staff uh, they have been adamant about supporting the fact that this is student-led. Um, there have been several instances where Christian celebrities, which is just kind of a weird term, but you understand what I mean, uh, have, have uh, shown up, and uh, uh, some of them being worship leaders, and just saying, hey, how can I help? And the uh, staff has very wisely, but um, very insistently and politely said, you may participate, but this is student-led. I think that was a good idea, actually, um, because, you know, you leave it to the professionals to muck it up, <laughs> kind of a thing. And, but anyway, um, apparently there are uh, student worship teams that are just cycling in and out. Um, uh, I guess they close everything down at 2 a.m., uh, and students are still trying to sleep in the auditorium. I don't know if that's actually occurring or not, but we'll find out hopefully later. And then the, the staff has also done a very good job of trying to make sure that there's food and logistics and all that kind of stuff for, for the students to continue to do as they feel God is leading them to do. And again, I think this is very wise on the administration's uh, part. Um, I know that um, the... Uh, uh, political pundit Tucker Carlson um, asked if he could go, and the, the administration said, "Please, please don't." Um, only, only from the standpoint of it would put a type of spotlight on the event, and they're like, "This isn't about the event. This is about God." 
Again, very wise, very wise. I'm, I'm very thankful for that. The other thing that I want to want to say about this um, is that I'm thrilled to report that um, the whole revival uh, is spreading. Uh, somebody at last count, I saw there's about 18 locations around the country reporting similar events. 18. Um, mostly universities, but not entirely, but mostly universities. And um, seems to be following a very similar pattern from place to place, which is kind of cool. Um, more evidence that I think that God's behind it all. And um, that's kind of a neat thing to be able to, to experience. Um, uh, uh, my daughter was at uh, ORU's uh, chapel, I think, last week, and the president mentioned the fact that there was a revival going on at Asbury. And in her words, there was a peace that settled over the, over the chapel service, which is kind of cool. Uh, you can ask it or her about it um, yourself, and uh, she can tell you a little bit more. But God's on the move here, folks. And um, I think that since we're talking about fire in the fireplace, that it might be a good time to, to chat a little bit um, about <clears throat> things like revival and uh, maybe, maybe offer a perspective on kind of what's going on. Now, believe it or not, there's actually a technical definition for revival. I don't know if you knew this, but, you know, PhDs have to uh, justify their, their dissertations, so you have to define everything. And um, the best kind of description or definition that I, that I, at least that I like, that I found, is that it's the Holy Spirit's work among a group of people or a church that brings about fresh vitality and devotion. And from, from what I'm what I'm seeing um, or hearing or reading about, that seems to be occurring. There's a vitality related to this. It doesn't seem to to be co-opted by any one particular group, which is a good thing. Um, But there is this kind of fresh vitality. And and frankly, I I mean, if you spend any amount of time on social media, this is the generation, in my opinion, that that needs it the most. I'm, I'm glad to see this occurring, and I think that it, you know, from time to time, the Lord does this just to remind us that you know, He is present and active. Um, that definition, though, of bringing fresh vitality and, and devotion should, should describe every church. Um, but I recognize that there are sometimes special circumstances where the Lord um, just pours himself out a little bit more. Uh, this is not a new phenomenon. You need to understand that. When, whenever we're talking about revivals, they've occurred throughout the centuries. Um, of course, there was the uh, Asbury Revival in 1970, which, um, from what I understand, was roughly you know, the same time of year that this one is occurring, which I think is really interesting. Of course, there's the Azusa Street Revival that occurred in 1906 in... Um, uh, Los Angeles, which gave rise to modern-day Pentecostalism. But even uh, John Wesley and George Whitfield, the great, um, the great preachers, reported these kinds of events occurring quite regularly in the 1700s. It's just very interesting. And I'm sure it goes back further, but as far as written record goes, what we're seeing here is something that's been um, repeated um, 
over the centuries, and I think, I think it's important that we, we recognize that this is just one in a long line of those. Um, and, and each one of these is characterized by a very distinct presence of God. You know, that, that God is present and people feel it and they can't really get away from it. And usually it's, usually there's a certain amount of signs and wonders that go along with it. <clears throat> but that, that isn't necessarily, uh, put it this way, signs and wonders is not the goal of a revival, it's just the result. Does this make sense? Um, some of you have heard me use this illustration before, and I think this is um, very appropriate and, and very helpful. Uh, I, I recall a reporter asking the CEO of Toyota what he thought um, when it was announced that Toyota was the largest manufacturer in the world. And the CEO said, well, that's just a result. That's not the goal. See what I mean? And the goal is the presence of God. The result are signs and wonders. So again, it's kind of putting it in the right order. And I think that's a really helpful thing. So you have this characteristic. Um, the other thing that you have to remember, anytime there's any type of, of revival that, that occurs, um, it almost always draws some type of criticism from some quarter, whether it's a secular quarter or a Christian quarter, it doesn't matter. It always draws some kind of, of criticism. And I heard one preacher put it this way. He says, there is no revival in the history of humanity that hasn't offended somebody. So think about that. So if there's a revival, it's probably going to tick somebody off. Um, I've even seen some, some Christian criticism uh, just recently. Lisa and I were watching a video this morning, and there was a kind of a slight skepticism. And I'm like, you know what, that's fine. Um, all revivals are going to tick somebody off. That's kind of what Jesus did. Jesus pretty much aggravated both left and right. And I figure if I'm not aggravating somebody, I'm probably not doing my job, you know, kind of a thing. And, and so when we have these kinds of revivals, we, sh we should expect, you know, that to, to actually occur. Um, somebody had put it this way. Uh, actually, no, it was a part of the conversation that Lisa and I were having this morning, is that there's this idea <laughs> that we, we want to analyze everything. But please understand, analysis and discernment are very different. We are supposed to discern whether or not something is from God. That is not the same as analysis. And I think sometimes when people are offended, they are substituting one for the other. I'm just going to say that out loud. And um, I'd probably aggravate somebody by saying that. I'm okay with it. But discernment and analysis are not the same thing. Um, they overlap, but they're still very, very different. <clears throat> um, I've been thinking about all this, and I think it's worth spending some time and attention since we're in this series about Holy Spirit. Um, I've been pondering this at, at some length, because um, frankly, it's exciting. Can we just say that? It's kind of exciting when we see that you know God's pouring out and, and people start gravitating towards it. And, and I understand the desire to go and experience it. I mean, um, somebody made a video and they said, yeah, I just felt a stirring that I needed to be here. Cool. Uh, if you're feeling that stirring, hop in the car. It's a 12-hour trip. Made it many times. Tell you how to get there. Um, it's, it's easy. And yet it's the, um, yes, Lord. Sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> 
But please do. I mean, if that's something that you feel that you want to experience, I think that's perfectly all right. But something struck me, and I, and I feel like I need to say this out loud. Um, God doesn't respect geography. Can I just say that? And the same God who's in Kentucky is the one that you're meeting with today. Let that sink in. The God who is pouring himself out on a group of college students in Kentucky is the same one that you are choosing to meet with here today, right now. Same God. You know, why manifest there in that way? I mean, only God knows and, and he's not telling. He just is. But it's still the same God. And I... Um, taken a certain amount of uh, comfort in that. Like, God, that's really cool. But I'm meeting with you on Sunday at Thrive Church. Now, the difference, I think, is that you've got this group of students who, if I remember the story correctly, kind of stayed after chapel, spent some time being serious with God, confessing, repenting, and God showed up and just decided to stick around for a little while. It's, it's, it's an authentic type of thing that occurred. Um, and I suspect that they told themselves, this group of students told themselves and they told God the truth. Whatever that is, I, I don't know what, what it is, but I, I suspect that Something resonated in their heart and they just decided to be authentic in the real sense of the word and just tell themselves and tell God the truth about whatever was going on in their lives. I, I don't know what that is. Maybe that'll be a story for another day. <clears throat> Dan and I were having a conversation about this this week and um, he made the point, and this has really stuck with me, that <clears throat> it's within the context of worship, though, that, that this revival, at least as it's appearing currently, is in the context of worship. And um, those who've had kind of you know, direct experience have been to the auditorium and there's just you know, worship music going on the entire time and it's just kind of about worship and prayer and it's a, it's a very simple sort of thing. And if you remember, two weeks ago, we were talking about this idea of worship in the sense of Holy Spirit. And then when we worship, we're actually putting ourselves into a position and a posture. And so the, the position is very simple. The, the position is this idea that you're God and I'm not. You're above and beyond anything that's human. That's the right position, that I am underneath him, Okay. But at the same time, it's putting yourself into a posture to receive the things that he is saying, being open to that. Because sometimes I think um, when, we're, when we're doing our prayers, it's always one direction, one direction, one direction. God, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need. Please bless, 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 help me. And that's fine. God, God can handle whatever you have, okay? But there is this sense of that when we actually worship, we're putting ourselves into a position and a posture to actually receive from the one who knows more than any of us do. 
right? It's, it's that, that kind of thing. And I think that's, that's really um, important. And confession and repentance is a part of that. Uh, that is ascribing worth to God, but also positioning ourselves um, underneath the one who is holy. And we're not. <clears throat> and, and I think this idea of confession and repentance as part of worship is a really big, big deal because confession is learning how to tell the truth. You can tell, to, to tell the truth to yourself, number one, and then tell the truth to God. He already knows it, right? But if you can tell yourself the truth and then be honest with God about things, that's real confession. You know, sometimes, I, well, this is just me, maybe, maybe you feel differently, but in the past, <clears throat> anytime I think about confession and repentance, I feel like I need to be on the floor groveling in front of the Lord, you know, kind of a thing. And, and that's not really what it means. This idea of confession is just kind of learning how to tell the truth to yourself and, and telling it to God. And repentance is about turning and doing something different. I don't want to do that anymore. Lord, I might need some help to do something different, but I want to do it differently. That's repentance. And both of those things are part of this position and posture because you, you probably do need help with it. You may need, need some help cleaning out the, the junk. You know, the idea is still this idea about rats and rubbish. You know, rats are the demons. The rubbish is the sin. If you want to get rid of the demons, you got to get rid of the, get rid of the junk, Right? So get rid of the rubbish, get rid of the rats. <clears throat> I think those things go hand in hand. And, and this idea of confession and repentance cleans yourself out so that you can actually position yourself fully and posture yourself in such a way that you can receive what the Lord has to tell you. Why on earth would you want to miss out on that? I don't want to. And uh, I think that, you know, listening to what these students are telling us, at least at this point, is something worthwhile, at least to, to think about. <clears throat> and, and, and this idea that the context for this is worship also makes sense biblically. And, and so I want to see if I can illustrate this a little bit. So if you have your, a Bible, um, <clears throat> I want you to turn to John chapter 4. It's a familiar passage. Uh, we're just going to spend a couple minutes there, uh, and then I will <clears throat> we'll move on. But in John chapter 4, Jesus is having a kind of an awkward conversation with a Samaritan woman. Um, you probably know this story. Uh, we've used this on several occasions to, to illustrate certain things, especially about worship. But I, I love this because a Jewish rabbi, teacher, and a Samaritan woman should not be in the vicinity of each other, and they certainly should not be alone. And yet, there they are. And they're having this discussion, and Jesus is doing the Jesus thing, being all prophetic and talking to her and pointing out some things that she probably doesn't want pointed out. And, and then the conversation, I love this, turns to religion and politics. Because, you know, that's not awkward at all, right? And, and she, she does it deftly. She takes the emphasis off of her and puts it on this idea about the difference between Samaritans and Jews. And it's political and it's religious, had she mentioned money, it would probably have been the complete trifecta of things you're supposed to stay away from during cocktail parties, right? I mean, it's like you don't talk about economics or religion or politics, and yet she picks two out of the three, and here we go. And she talks about this idea of you Jews worship this way, we Samaritans worship this way. 
And she, she just kind of lays it out there in, in front of him. And Jesus doesn't take the debate at all. Rather, he makes a very stunning statement. And uh, I, w- I want to read this to you. Let's start with verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Yeah, he just called her out on her stuff. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Again, this is politics, religion. Jesus declared, verse 21, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. See, he's not taking the debate here. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Okay, he's, he's, he's making a statement here. But then he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, there's a lot of ways to understand this. Um, and I've heard, I've heard multiples, you have too. And I think what happens is when we talk about worshiping God in spirit, one of the things that we think about is this, um, this idea that we worship externally, either on a mountain or in Jerusalem, and what God is saying, no, you're going to worship in your inner person, to worship in your spirit. Not through the ceremonies of, of the Samaritans or the cer- uh, ceremonies of the Jews, but rather we're going to worship internally. And, and I think there's a certain amount of truth to that, because I think you can worship where, wherever you really are. But I don't think that's quite right overall. I don't think that's the best interpretation of it. Rather, I think that God can only be worshipped as a father by those with the spirit that makes people children. Does this make sense? The father is looking for worshipers. And the only way that you can call him father is if you have the spirit of God inside of you that makes you his child. And so there's a relational component to this that I think gets lost in the whole um, external versus inner type of worship. The reason why that we can call him Abba, we can call him Father, that we, can, that we can have that type of familiar relationship with him is because his spirit lives inside of us. I think that's a really important uh, point to make. <clears throat> there's this relational component to it. And the, and the Father wants people who worship in that type of spirit and in truth. You know, he wants those who, who are uh, enabled and willing to deal truthfully with themselves. That's hard to do because, you know what, I don't like to talk about my junk. I don't like to talk about my flaws or my weaknesses or any of that or my sin or my habits or my hang-ups or, or my hurt and my pain, all that kind of stuff. I don't want to talk about that kind of thing. But if I want to be able to worship in spirit and in truth, I have to deal truthfully with myself that I carry some baggage with me. 
I have to be able to do that. And of course, there's this other component to it that I think we have to remember that in John chapter 14, just 10 chapters later, Jesus makes this stunning statement, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Truth, right? If you're going to worship as a child of God, you need to have his spirit. The only way to get the spirit is through him. Are you with me? Now, I know there's a little mental gymnastics here, but I think this begins to make some sense. The spirit of adoption as sons and daughters of God come through Jesus. And that's what what this prophet is telling this woman. Is that the time has has come, it's now, right now, where you're going to worship in spirit and truth. You're going to worship in ways you had no idea you could worship. You don't have to go anywhere, but you do have to have a relationship with someone. Beautiful. The next passage I think that's worth looking at is Mark chapter 5. This is, I think, one of my favorite stories in all of the scriptures. Jesus is traveling across the Sea of Galilee, lands on a shore in a part of um, the region that's known for uh, its non-Jewish population. And there's a legendary individual that lives there who is demon-possessed. Uh, for those of you who um, are academic, this is the Gerasene demoniac. And I want to read a little section to you. <clears throat> describes the man, um, he's crazy. But when he saw Jesus from a distance, this is verse 6, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Now, you know the story, Jesus sends them to a pigs, the pigs kill themselves, and the man is made right. It's a beautiful picture of of salvation. There's a couple of things I think we we need to point out here. I heard another pastor say this recently, and it really kind of stuck with me. So think about a Roman legion, just so that you understand, was about 5,000 men. So here you have a demon who's saying, I am legion for we are many. But I want you to to put this in, in, in the right perspective. It says that he the man ran and fell on his knees in front of Jesus. The same story appears in Luke chapter 8 and said, the man cried out and fell down before Jesus. It's a posture of submission. 5,000 demons and the man still worshipped Jesus. The church is without excuse. Gotta be honest, that one kind of keeps me up at night. I think about that a lot. 
5,000 demons in opposition, and yet the man still fell on his knees in front of the Most High God. Mm. Let me tell you that Dan Farkas often says things to me that stick with me. He made another comment. Jerk, I love you. We're talking about this thing of worship, and he says, you know what? It really comes down to this idea of hunger. How hungry are we for God? Huh. That's true. Because we can talk about worship all we want, but if there's no hunger for God, then the possibility of worship, I think in my mind, is diminished. There's no reason to do it. Uh, other than it becomes rote or it becomes um, perfunctory, mechanical, something that we just do. It's part of the routine. becomes something on, on our list that we just check the box off, off with. But really what it comes down to is how hungry are we for God? Might we be hungry enough to tell ourselves and God the truth? And then listen for as long as it takes to what he has to say. Are we hungry enough to suspend what we want and ask him what he thinks is best for us and then trust him? There's a, there's a psalm, um, Psalm 42. Let's, let's turn there real quick. Um, you can tap that one into your Bible app if you want. Psalm 42. I, I, got, I have to be interest, uh, um, uh, honest about this one. I've long been uncomfortable with the language in here. Um, and I want to read just a part of this. Um, let, let me read it, and then I, I want to make a comment about it. So, um, verse 1, Psalm 42. You've heard this before. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go out mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Do you see the internal conversation that's going on here? On the one hand, he's like, I am admitting, I'm going to be truthful. I'm going to tell myself my truth. I'm down. 
I'm downcast. I've got problems. There are issues that are going on in my life that are really uncomfortable. And yet, I still have this need for God. And despite the circumstances, I'm still going to praise him. Can we just be honest? That's really hard to do. Think about it. When you're going through your stuff, whatever it is, whether it's a relationship, whether it's your workplace, whether it's finances, whether, whatever it happens to be, when you're going through that, the last thing on earth you really want to do is praise God, don't you? No, you just want him to fix it because it's uncomfortable. That's human. Most of us like to back away from things that make us uncomfortable, that make us experience any type of pain. We don't want to deal with that kind of stuff. But what I think the psalmist is telling us here is, look, the only way through that is with the one who loves you. The one who has the power to see you through. And frankly, yes, the power to remove whatever it is that's causing you the discomfort. Yes, that's true. But, but that first line is the one that just gets me. As the deer pants for water, my soul pants for you. The word here is thirst, but it's really hunger, isn't it? It's something that that, that individual actually needs. How hungry are we? How thirsty are we? Are we willing to deal with that hunger and thirst as being the only way through the set of circumstances that we find ourselves in, whatever they are, however painful they are. There's, there's a desperation that's in here, and, and the poetry, the way it, that's, it's stated, it makes me a little antsy, okay? I just, it just makes me, I don't, I don't know, it just, I don't, I don't like feeling that way at all, and yet there's this part of me down deep in my soul where I completely understand I totally get this. Like, yes, I've been there more times than I care to admit, but I've been in that kind of position where I'm just, I'm just feeling the, the, the downcast and I'm feeling, and I have to remember that there is a God worth worshiping. I love this. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. That's worship. That's hunger. And those two things go hand in hand. You know, there's lots of questions around this revival that's that's going on. Lots of them. Um, Some of them are skeptical. And there always will be questions when, when revival breaks out. How did it break out? Why did it break out? Why did it break out over there? Why didn't it break out over here? I've got this Dr. Seuss thing going on in my head right now. Is it real? How will we know? And again, analyzing it and discerning it are two different things. But I think there might be a better question for things like revival. Um, instead of asking the why and how questions, maybe we should say, what is God blessing? Because if God chose to, 
to meet with that group of students for whatever reason? What is it that he's blessing that keeps him there and his presence there that's drawing so many other people to him? What, what is it? What is it that he's actually blessing? And I think there is only one answer. I really do. I, I don't claim to, to, to have the definitive, but I, I really think that it comes down to the fact that there are hungry people. And God enjoys filling hungry people. I think he loves it. And so you have hungry people who are, are showing up. There's, there's this other thing too. We have a, a, a value at Thrive Church when we talk about, about Sunday morning worship. And the value is that you know, we, we come here expectant. If you're expecting others to make you feel a certain way, I think you're going to be disappointed, but if you come expecting God to meet you, I think you're going to be filled. So you have to be hungry but expectant. I mean, here's the thing. Why would you come to the table if you aren't expecting to be fed? Does that make sense? I mean, why, why would you come here if you didn't expect the fact that that God isn't going to meet you. There's an expectation to it. And I think what happens is when we have that expectation, we hunger for a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And I think that that's a good thing because we're trying to fill ourselves with something that's good. You know, I don't, I mean, I know most of you um, fairly well. I know, I know your hearts. And and I, I know your motivations for the most part. But there's this little piece of me that I wonder of how hungry are we collectively and individually? Uh, can I just be honest? I'm asking myself that question. I want to be hungry. Hungrier for him. I find myself um, on Sundays, especially when I feel the presence of God in the room, I find myself just saying, oh God, give me more, give me more. <clears throat> yes, I want God to pour his spirit out and, and I want to see him come in power and, and all of that. But what I really want is I want more of that. And, and because I think, I think what happens is when you have more of God, you want more of God because he's so good. And I don't, again, I don't want to miss out on any of that. Now, there's no chastisement here. There's no judgment. There's, there's none of it. I just, I just wonder. I, I like asking questions because I think it's only from good, good questions that we get actual answers. But I, I, I just wonder, I just wonder if we can ask, can we be truthful with ourselves for just a moment and just say, how hungry am I for God? How hungry am I? Do I, do I actually thirst for that? And I think the answer is yes. And I think what often happens is that life just kind of gets in the way and distracts us from the real things. And so it's like trying to, when you're like really hungry or thirsty and you, you try to, to feed it with fast or junk food and you try to um, quench the thirst with sugary drinks. And I think we, we all do that to a certain degree. 
and what the Lord is offering us is real food. But here's the thing that I've noticed. The best food are often slowly prepared. There are times when my wife is cooking and it's taking forever. But it's so good when she's done. And I think that the Spirit of God is like that. I want answers right now. But God is like, no, this is slow. Things that are slowly prepared are better for you in the long run. Okay. Okay, I can get on board with that. Am I hungry for that kind of food? Or am I willing to distract myself or fill myself with stuff that isn't actually nourishing? I think the same thing holds true for for our spiritual life. How hungry are we, individually and collectively? I think that's one of those questions that's going to get stuck in your head. At least I hope it does. How hungry are you? And can you be honest with God about that hunger? Because some of you might be sitting there going, I have no idea what you're talking about. And there's this part of you that says, I'm willing to be hungry. Okay, God can work with that. That's cool. Some of you are satisfied because you've got a rich, rich spiritual life and you're in the presence of God an awful lot. Oh, please pray for the rest of us, okay? If that's you. But if you're like me and kind of, you know, at the, the high point of the bell-shaped curve, I think we're all kind of sitting there going, you know what, I'm, I'm actually hungry. I really want to know God more. I want to know God better. I want, I want that type of presence and power in my life. Because um, the thing that I'm doing right now probably isn't working as well as I'd like it to. So how hungry am I? I'm starving. <laughs> I think God can work with that. So let's do this. Go ahead, close your eyes for a minute. Um, I want to try try this. See if this helps. Sometimes I got to do something physically in order to have it make some sense. So I wonder if you might um, pray with me now. But I wanna, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to take your hands, put them palms out and palms up, <clears throat> right towards the ceiling. Like if you're watching online, you can you can do this in your own house too. But just go ahead and put your palms up. And I want you to direct your thoughts towards the creator and sustainer of the universe. God, we acknowledge that you are Lord, king of the universe. Your kingdom is about your rule and reign on earth, and we recognize that we are citizens in that. You are holy, we are not. We are in your presence because of the blood of Jesus and because of the spirit of God that lives within us. We position ourselves under your authority, under your holiness, and under your goodness. We posture ourselves to hear what you have to say trusting that you are good 
and you will only give your children good gifts, even if we don't understand them. Lord, we praise you for who you are and the things that you have done both around us and for us. God, receive our praise, receive our worship. We thank you. We're grateful for all that you've done. Now take your palms and put them in front of you, but put them face up. Lord Jesus, we receive from you your goodness. It may take a while, but we understand that you have our best interests at heart because you are all wise, all knowing, all good. This is a position of openness ready to receive. And we trust you, God, to give us those good things. Again, even if we don't understand them. We are hungry for you. We are thirsty for you, even if we don't know it. Only you have the good things that will fill us. Kind Father, I pray that you would immerse us in your Holy Spirit, that you would infill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might flow outward with your Holy Spirit to the people around us. I know that the individuals gathered here who believe in you uh, have your spirit in them. Now I pray, Lord, that you would come upon them so that they might be effective witnesses for you in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in their workplaces, in the public, um, even in the digital. God, that you would so fill them with their spirit, they just can't help but give testimony to who you are and the things that you've done. God, I pray that every person here would be honest with themselves and be honest with you, that they would deal seriously with the things that you are bringing to their attention even now. God, I also pray that the enemy would not have a place for condemnation here. That is the voice of shame. It has no business that is unholy and it does not belong in your house. In the name of Jesus, it must be silent so that people can only hear what you have to say. And I pray, Lord, as we sing, you would speak. As we worship, that you would fill us so that we can be fully the sons and daughters that you have called us to be. Thank you for the things that you're doing around this country. It is good to see you on the move. And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are experiencing you in those fresh ways, uh, offering our blessing and our support. Oh God, do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. And show us how we can either be a part of it or uh, participate with you. God, again, Thrive Church is your church. You get to decide what happens here. And we will follow with joy and thanksgiving. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Everybody said.
Amen.